This evening, I'd like to, to turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. Isaiah, chapter 5. This is a, uh, entitled, The Song of the Vineyard, and uh, a, really a beautiful section of Scripture and a very important message that goes along with it. So, Isaiah, chapter 5. And uh, this is an interesting, uh, interesting passage. Uh, back in the last year, last fall, we, we did a series on Wednesday nights on the I Am Sayings of Jesus. The, the last of those I Am Sayings is, I am the true vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches from John chapter 15. And we kind of briefly actually alluded to Isaiah, 55, or Isaiah 5 in that passage. But I think it's, it's just uh, worth looking at by itself. Uh, just to see that, and also how it points us to Jesus uh, in in a great way. And so, uh, as we're going to do that, Isaiah chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So follow along as I read. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and made a wine press therein. And he looked at it that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. For what could have been done to more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked at it, it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes." And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it will be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it should be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall be uh, not, not shall not be pruned, nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And here's verse 7, very important. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, and behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. So in this passage here, in, in beginning with Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 1 through uh, 5 here, Isaiah 6, you have his calling. And But anyways, in looking at this, this section here, Isaiah was called as a prophet, called of God to warn Israel of its waywardness, its idolatry, and its injustice. Uh, they, the Jewish people, Israel, was to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and love their neighbor as herself. But the reality was that their f- works itself were fruitless. There was really nothing good in itself that they did. They had a form of rituals, ritualism, and religious practices. You could go to the temple, and yes, sacrifices would happen, prayers would be offered, and different things, pilgrims would be made, but it simply just masked the heart of the people. And so this is very important as we see this. So in order to prove his point, Isaiah is kind of pointing his finger. Basically, God's going to judge you. He's not going to overlook this. And then it says in verse 5, or chapter 5, now Isaiah is coming at this, uh, basically preaching to Israel, and he's doing it in a very different way. And what he does is he does it through a song. So Isaiah here sings a song in the vineyard which uh, sounds to Israel like someone else's problem. There's a problem in the vineyard. That's what the song is about. There's a problem. I mean, that's going to be a catchy line. I mean, they'll probably sing it on American Idol next year, you know. But there's a problem in the vineyard, okay? And uh, anyways, but you know what? When we hear about uh, about this problem, we usually think of it, oh, it's someone else's problem. It's some other group's problem. It's some other church's problem. It's not our problem. And then what happens is this. Isaiah, he sings this song, and then he gets to the punchline, and the punchline stuns them. 
the wayward vineyard, unfruitful vineyard, is you guys. It's interesting when you think about that. There's other times in the Bible where stories or parables or even songs are done in such a way. You remember when uh, David, King David, sinned with Bathsheba. And it was several months later that Nathan the prophet comes and he gives this grand story of how a wealthy man stole his poor neighbor's little lamb. And uh, anyways, and, and killed it, served it to his guests and all that. And of course he says, uh, David, what do you think should be done to the man who stole this lamb? And David says, well, he should be basically punished severely. And then what does Nathan do? He shakes his finger at David and says, here the man. And so this is, it's almost the identical same thing that you're finding here in Isaiah. Really amazing on that. So one thing is interesting before we get into that, this is, this passage, these seven verses are really in Hebrew. We, we really miss it in English. You know, translation is hard to effectively translate, uh, from one language to another, especially when you do it in poetry or, or in song. It's very difficult to translate exactly. But one thing is interesting to point out though, I will say this is that even if you don't know Hebrew en enough, you could, in fact, if you want, I'll play it for you later. But if, if you listen to the verses being read in Hebrew, you'll notice a cadence and a rhythm. It's not in a song per se sung, but you can he almost hear it. There's a pattern to it. It's really beautiful how it's mentioned. And so this is a beautiful song. And when you start out in verse one, now I will, now will I sing to my well beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. You know, if you read other parts of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, what does that sound like? It sounds like another book of the Bible. Song of Solomon. Exactly. It sounds like a song of Solomon. In other words, there's a special song. And, and remember this, that a lot of times the, the passages of the Bible that we have here in that context, and even some, and to some degree in Jewish context today, uh, when Trevor Rubenstein was here a couple of weeks ago for our honor Israel, he had kind of actually mentioned this, that remember, they, they learn the Bible, they learn the verses of the Bible, not just simple memorization or reading it, they do it, they memorize it in song. You know, we actually, if you think about it, some of our favorite songs and choruses are Bible verses. Isn't it easier to memorize a Bible verse when it's done to a song? How about Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God? You know, that's, that tune's going through your mind right now, okay? And there's others we could probably allude to as well. That's kind of what this is about. Okay, so, but let's talk about what's going on with this vineyard. What's going on? What's the problem of the vineyard? And so, for example, it says here in verse, um, he talks about a vineyard, a vineyard of his beloved, okay? And the vineyard and a very fruitful, in verse 2, what happens to the vineyard? The vineyard or the, the husbandman, the, the vine dresser, he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted with choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and made a wine press. He looked at it as she put, bring forth grapes. Okay. Now here's the, the idea. So a vineyard, it was a very important commodity in, especially in ancient Israel's time as it is even now. But nonetheless, this is what happened in the ancient culture. So you go back to Isaiah's day, or even Jesus' day, when you would make a vineyard, when you grew grapes, what would happen is this. It actually took about three years to adequately plant a vineyard in Israel. Why is that? Because much of Israel is a rocky terrain. Okay, you guys have been there, definitely you've seen that. I remember my first time flying and I was with my dad. We were going on a tour to Israel back in the 90s. First time to Israel. We're flying in, in to the Ben Gurion Airport and I look outside. This is mid-March. And I'm looking outside and I look at the hills, which are the hills of Judea. But as we're looking at that, it says, what is that? My dad and I looked at it and said, is that snow? 
No, it was rocks. Just so many rocks. It almost had the appearance initially as, as snow. I mean, it was that plentiful. So you can imagine trying to plant a vineyard or even some type of farm, some agriculture. You're going to have to move a lot of rock in order to adequately uh, make way for whatever you're going to grow, whether it be vines or anything else, okay? And so very important. So what would happen is this. Year one. So I mentioned there's three years that it takes to actually grow a, a vine, a vineyard. Number year one, the land is cleared of other plants and rocks. And like I said, it's plentiful. You're, you're going to be working a while to get an adequate space, okay? Uh, so that's the first year. Year two, then, you get the finest vines uh, purchased, and then you set them. It says here in, ver- in the middle of verse two, he, it says he, uh, he planted with the choicest vine. In other words, you don't go just to Malenberg's or whatever nursery you get and, you know, try to get a bag of seeds. They would probably have some type of supplier, just like greenhouses today. You have that back then in those times, too. So you get the choicest vine, whatever you can afford. You get the best. You want the best, right? And so that's what you do. So that's year two. The vines are purchased and then set. Next, the rocks are cleared. Uh, The rocks that you cleared earlier are now used to build fences, terraces, and watchtowers. And the watchtowers are important because why? The watchtowers are there to protect the vineyard or whatever farm that you have there and to protect from animals and marauders. Okay, so whatever enemies, whether it be four-legged or two-legged, all right, you got to protect your vine. Okay, so it's very, very important. And then year three comes and the fruit of all the past labor is now ready. So basically it takes three years to get a good vine really going. That's how it happened in ancient Israel. If you've ever attended to a vine before, it, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of personal care. There's a lot of machines who do uh, uh, harvesting and, and things like that today. Uh, but with, with, with vineyards, it's a lot of hands-on work. Uh, when we were down in Tennessee, we were visiting a, a friend of ours, went to their house for supper. He took me out to his garden. He had all kinds of things growing. Uh, he was kind of having a fun time showing me everything. But then he says, yeah, and I also got this, this vine. Uh, so he's growing grapes there as well. And, um, anyways, just the, the delicate care he had a, he has to do just to do. It's not huge, but anyways, it's something that he's doing. So this is very, very important. So it, here's the point. It took, it took about three years before you get the first real harvest. So a lot of work. And this is what we find here that the vine dresser or the vineyard, the, the husbandman, if you will, is taking great extra care and hard work to make sure everything is provided for in the vineyard, including the wine press. Let me tell you one thing about a wine press. When the wine, uh, when the grapes are collected and, uh, what do you do with those grapes? How do you make the, the juice, if you will? Do you know how to do it? Think of I Love Lucy, if you think of that episode, right? You basically stomp on them. Okay. Now I'm going to teach you something very, very important, how they used to do it back in this in the first century so the way you do it you do not do it with shoes you take your sandals off why is that because if you crush the seeds the pits of the of the uh of the grapes it will basically have a bitter taste the bitterness of that will seep in to the rest of the juice there and so when you go barefooted okay uh, it, you have that little tension that's released right there is a little bit less. And so that's something that they, you would do. Okay, a little bit of side cultural note. Nonetheless, that's how things were done way back then. But what you can see here in this verse, in verse 2, verses 1 and 2, is that great care was put into the vineyard. 
okay? That's extremely important. But here's the thing. After all those years of everything being prepped, what did that vineyard, what did that vine produce? Wild grapes. grapes, Exactly. End of verse two there. Wild grapes. What is wild grapes? Wild grapes are basically poisonous, worthless, not amount to anything. You can't use them. That's the thing. They're worthless, fruitless. And so here's the thing. The, The vine dresser puts everything, his heart and soul, into the vineyard. And they, basically, it nothing happens. It, it just came up short, came up empty. So here's an idea. This is from one commentator. Wild grapes here means that the vineyard produced just what you would expect it to produce if nothing had been done to it. In other words, if you just had a vine that was just growing for the sake of it, you never cared for it, it would produce those wild grapes. You would expect that. But for a vine that was cared for to the T, you would expect a great healthy crop. Now, I don't know about you, but if you would like to do a little bit of gardening, raise your own food or whatever, things like that, you put great care, whether it be tomatoes or peppers or whatever you might be growing, you're expecting a great uh, great harvest. And I don't know about you, but I would eat farm fresh or garden fresh vegetables any day, 10 times more than going to the grocery store. Okay, I think I speak for all of us. But nonetheless, here's the point. All the love, care, time, work, and investment resulted in nothing. There was nothing to show for it. So this was despite all the best things that the vine dresser had provided the vineyard. It came up short. It was worthless. Wow. So this is the song. Okay, that's the first verse. What's the second verse of the song here? Verses, uh, actually going on to verses 3 and 4. Now the, the message is now given. Isaiah says, And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray, betwixt me and my vineyard. What should have been done? What more could we have done to the vineyard? Verse 4. Uh, wherein I looked at this should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. What should have been done to this? So he's asking, we got this vineyard and it produced squat, okay? What should be done? What could else could the vine dresser have done to make it go? And so he says this, the portion of the vineyard, that production of the vineyard was worthless, but the portion or the fate of the vineyard was this in verse five. And now go to, I will tell you uh, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. It shall be eaten up or consumed, or even burned, break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, be laid waste, not pruned, not digged. There should come briars and thorns, and commands that there be no rain upon. Okay, so those are the the ideas that's happening here. So, here's the thing. Isaiah is saying, okay, men of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, what should be done to this vineyard in the song? What should be done to this vineyard that is good for nothing? What should be done to it? And he says, I'm going to basically tear it down, the protection is removed. That fence is removed. That stone wall is going to be removed. It's going to be trodden down. It's going to be trampled. It's going to be eaten up or consumed or burned. The production will then stop. It's not going to produce anything. And so here's the point in verse verse 6. Because the idea is this, that the vine dresser will no longer care for this vineyard. He's going to let it go. And then also he calls upon even rain in heaven itself to stop raining. By the way, in the Bible times, withholding rain was a sign of judgment. If there was no rain, remember what? Remember Elijah. Remember, he said it will not rain for three and a half years. Okay, that was a judgment upon northern Israel during that time. And so no rain is significant of a sign of judgment. Going back to here, what was about to happen was this. Isaiah is kind of setting the people up for the punchline. So here's the thing. 
the vineyard, like it, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but is Israel. And when that fence, as he says here in verse 5, is going to be taken down, the watchtower will be abandoned, for example. Everything will also be eaten up. So here's the thing. When that fence is taken down, when the watchtower is done, that means the enemies can have access to the vineyard. Let me ask you a question. If you know your history of the Old Testament, what enemies are about to come upon Israel, northern Israel and then Judah? Assyria, and then later Babylon. The people are going to go into captivity. And God's hand of protection, which he's had upon them more or less since the time of the conquest of Canaan, uh, guess what's going to happen? God is going to withdraw his protection, his hand of protection. He's going to withdraw his hand of care over his vineyard. And guess what? The enemy can come in and wreak havoc. That's what they're set, he's setting them up for. Okay, Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but here's the point of the, the song. What's the point of the song of the vineyard? It's found in verse 7. Here's the point, and this is the punchline. By the way, before we get to that, so Isaiah is singing the song, what shall happen, pretend I'm singing it, what shall happen to this vineyard that basically the vine dress is going to uh, let go? They would probably say, yes, you should do that. Yes, that vineyard is worth for nothing. You know, if you want to get some good advice, you know, if I really want a, a good advice for a handyman's job, I'm going to probably call Mark Zachman. You know what I mean? Okay. So if I need a good fishing tip, I'll probably ask uh, Harvey or Lee, okay, or Davey. So I'm going to give all these different ideas. So anyway, so he's asking, what should be done to this vineyard that's good for nothing? And they said, yeah, let it be trodden down. Well, guess what? Here's the punchline. You guys are the vineyard. That's what exactly is happening. So it says in verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah is pleasant plant, or the, basically the branches. He looked for judgment, behold oppression, for righteousness, behold a cry. Very important. So here's number one. The point of the song of the vineyard is this. The Lord, Israel is the Lord's vineyard. Okay? And then what we have here in verse 7 is a play on words, where it says here, uh, he looked for judgment, behold oppression. For righteousness, behold the cry. In Hebrew, this is actually a play on words. We miss it in English. Uh, it's it's uh, fascinating, actually. He looked for judgment or justice, okay? Basically, meeting out what is fair to the people. Remember, the leaders of Israel could care less uh, for the oppressed, the widows and the orphans. They could care less. They used and abused them. They, there was no judgment. There was no justice going on, okay? Or very little, and he says, behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold the Christ. So in Hebrew, this is what it would read. And I want you to listen to it. Even if you can't, don't read Hebrew, you can hear this. Listen. In Hebrew, you say, he looked for, instead of judgment, you say, he looked for mishpat, but behold, mispat. He looked for sadaka, but behold, seaka. Do you hear that? I'm giving you the Hebrew words, but in Hebrew, like I said, he looked for mishpat, but he got mispat. He looked for tzedakah, but he got se'akah. So this is what it means. Very simple is this. Israel was God's vineyard, but it produced wild or unfruitful grapes. Therefore, God's judgment came upon them, and that was not what they were expecting. They said, we're the chosen people. We're God's people. God's Just as he did before, God will watch over us. He'll care for us. He'll protect us and all that. But guess what? God put Israel there to be a light for the nations, to be holy, righteous, good, just, fair. 
to everyone around them, to love God and to love their neighbor, care for one another. They did not do that, though. But what did they do? They produced fruit of wickedness and carelessness, waywardness, idolatry. And they led the people of Israel astray. That was from the leadership on down. This is what was going on. So what he's saying is this. You are looking for judgment or justice. God looked for that. But when he came, he found them simply oppressing the people. He looked for righteousness. But guess what? They were just beholding a cry. They were just crying out. In other words, Israel did not live up to its expectations. Very important. So with that in mind, Israel was called to reflect the character of God. As we mentioned, his goodness and justice to protect the oppressed, to be a righteous nation. See, the thing is, Israel thought they could live without God or at least God on the side. Folks, we can't do that. You can't live with God on the side or without God. We desperately need him. God, and here's the point. Can God do this? Is this fair? Think about this. God was about to judge. By the way, you have from verse 8 to the end of this chapter, there are seven woes that the prophet makes against Israel because of everything that was going on. And eventually, he says, the nations are going to oppress you. Here's the point. God has every right to deal with the vineyard or Israel this way because he is just and righteous. God's ways are only right and only fair and only good. He's doing that to basically for his testimony's sake. Very important. But here's the point. Is the, is the vineyard going to be abandoned forever? No, because God providentially cares for the vineyard. He will not forsake it. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was described as an unfruitful vine. In Psalm 80, uh, you can look at that passage later, but in Psalm 80, Israel was described as a vine that was plant, transplanted from Egypt to Canaan. It was oppressed by the Gentiles. It was corrected and chastised by God, but yet the Lord would restore them. He would give them salvation at the end. You see here that the Lord or the husbandman is the only hope of salvation. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 10, there were what the prophet called the pastors or vine dressers. They abused the vine. They took advantage. The leaders took advantage of their power and neglected and abused the people of Israel. They were not true leaders, folks. They took advantage of it only to uh, basically look, make themselves bigger. And then finally, this is where I want us to go tonight. We'll finish here. Look very quickly to the book of Matthew chapter 21. This is where we're going to end here tonight. Matthew chapter 21. And I want you to see this. And I think this is going to be a like aha moment when you see this, okay? Matthew 21, in beginning in verse 33. And as we read it, I want you to see, does this sound familiar? It says here in verse 33, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about, and digged a winepress, and built a tower, and let it out to the husband, and went into a far country. Doesn't that sound really familiar? Yeah, Jesus is alluding to Isaiah chapter 5. It goes on to say, verse 34, And when the time of the fruit of the harvest drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants, and beat one, killed another, stoned another. And again he sent other servants that did the first, and they did unto them likewise. And last of all, he sent them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But it says, Then the husbandmen saw the son. They said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will he do in those husbandmen? So here's the, almost an identical thing. Jesus is giving a parable, a song, if you will, to those religious leaders of his day in Israel. Okay? And here's the point. 
just as the leaders of Israel back in Isaiah's day were false husbandmen. They were they only neglected or abused the people that they were supposed to do, the vine, if you will. Even so, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders of his time did the exact same thing. In fact, he says here, the, the Lord, the husband, uh, the, the owner, sent his servants. Didn't God send prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and others time and time again to warn Israel to basically collect that harvest, if you will? And what happened to them? Those prophets, those messengers were abused as well. It says, maybe they will reverence my son. Who is that son? That's referring to Jesus himself. In other words, just as Isaiah did, Israel, you are the vineyard. In this, Jesus said basically, without having to say it, religious leaders of Israel, you're this bad husbandman. You're the unfaithful husbandman. That gives us to John chapter 15. Jesus is the true vine. His father is the husbandman. Pretty amazing when you think about that. So the husbandmen here are the religious leaders who do not care for the vineyard of Israel. Killing the son foretells the rejection and death of Jesus. But here's the point. God cares for the vineyard. It's interesting that we should look at this. Because why? What does God call us to do? Just as Israel is called to be righteous and good and to do what is right, to bear true fruit, true true fruit as it were, not wild grapes. I reminded what it says in the book of Micah. Chapter 6, verse 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, what the Lord would cry of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. As we think about this, I think we should be aware. Let us, not, let us be careful not to presume that we can live and minister without the hand and care of God upon our lives or upon this church. He has blessed us with a multitude of blessings and heavenly resources. In Christ, we are called to reflect the character of God, His goodness, justice, and righteousness. In Jesus Christ, the true vine, we are then called to produce the fruit of righteousness, justice, and mercy. So let us remember this as we look at the song of the vineyard. And understand this, that God has a great plan. There is a harvest coming, folks, and God does care what happens to the vine. Let us be careful of that.